0: Hey, thanks for leading us, you guys, and uh, thanks for being here this morning. Glad you're here, and um, I'm really thankful to say that we have a God who is unchangeable, unshakable, unstoppable. And I hope that you have a personal relationship with that God of the universe today. You know, in our world right now, it uh, it is evident that we need that kind of a God. It just seems like right now things are shaking, and things are kind of... Uh, topsy-turvy right now. And I just want to encourage you this morning that God is in control and he is working out a plan. And I hope that you'll see that today from God's word. Got a bit of a rock here. I don't know what's going on with that, but we'll, we'll uh, muscle through. Well, I want to encourage you um, as we get started today and you look around the room, you know, there might be some people that, that you don't, that you're not, that aren't here today and you recognize their, their absence. Um, I want to encourage you. To, to make the effort to reach out to those who aren't here. You know, it's great to see, to see you here. I'm glad you're here. But as you're aware, I mean, there's a lot of people in our community right now that are being affected by COVID-19 and all of the, all that that entails. If you haven't gone through a time where you're quarantined, it is pretty frustrating to have been exposed to, to this virus. And even when you feel fine, you know, you have no symptoms yourself, but you're obligated um, to, to kind of retreat from society That's a hard thing to do And those, there are people in our church that, are, that have encountered that Some of them are with us online I, I wish you were here but I understand And I want to encourage you That if you recognize somebody isn't here That you reach out to them And let them know you miss seeing them You know there's, it's really hard to be alone it's, it's God's plan for you to be in relationship You know that right You, you weren't made to be alone some of us, are flesh kind of, it tells us that we want to be alone. You know, I don't really like being around people. I like being by myself. Listen, that is not God's design. God made you with some needs. He made you with a need for Him. A vertical need that you need God in your life. But He also made you with a horizontal need. You do need other people. And other people need you. So if you're not in that kind of relationship today maybe you're online maybe you're with us today and you say I don't really have that in my life listen I want to challenge you to be seeking the lord that he would give you opportunity to develop horizontal relationships and I want you to know that that even right now there are there are people in our church there are people that are part of Centerpoint Bible Church that are that are praying and preparing to be future small group leaders and and future Groups that will be functioning in our church. And if you get the opportunity, if you get the invitation to be part of a small group, part of a community group like that, jump at it. Don't don't put it off. We need one another. Today I want to talk to you from God's Word. And and we're going to be in Romans chapter 13. And at times, the message that I'm going to share with you today, I, I think it might make some of us feel a little uncomfortable. But I want us to, to live today in submission to God and His Word, whether it be how He speaks to us through it today, whether it be the need that we have for relationships. I, we need to be the kind of people, the kind of followers of Christ that are ready and willing to submit to His leading in our lives. I want to pray with us now that God would do that work in our hearts. So come with me in prayer. Father, it is good to be here, to be here with your people to join together with your church it never was a building it always was a gathering of people and father i pray that as we uh, as we do gather today that your spirit will work in a way that doesn't happen any other way lord there's something that happens here when your people choose to gather together to worship you, to hear from your word, and to fellowship with one another. This can't be replaced in any other way. And so, Father, would you do your your supernatural work of challenging our hearts and helping us to understand how we can be more like you. We do pray for those that can't be with us today. Either they are concerned about COVID or some are quarantined and some are even sick. We pray, Lord, for, your, their com- for their comfort, for your presence, and that we would be diligent about expressing your love to other people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to start a, a short series. If you're new with us, what we typically do is we work through books of the Bible. And we have just finished up Matthew chapter 12 um, just recently, and now we're going to take a little bit of a break. And we're going to um, talk today about what is God doing in this world? What is God doing in our government? What is God doing in us and what is God doing in you? You know, if you are are on Facebook or any other form of social media or watching the news or through your apps, it can feel like things are just flying out of control. And it's great to sing the song that we did today. That God is in control and he's unshakable, he's unchangeable, he's unstoppable. Because our world around us feels like it's just the opposite. It can feel like things are just rattling out of control. And I want you to be comforted today and over the next month. I want us to spend some time looking at a key passage that references every one of these things. Today we're Romans 13. And we're going to look at what is God doing in the government And next week, we're going to look at what is God doing in our world? And then what is God doing in us, plurally? And then what is God doing in you, singularly? So today is government. And I want to start in Matthew chapter 22. We'll go to Romans 13 in just a moment. But you open up your Bible, if you have it with you today, or on your app, or whatever it might be, and go to Matthew chapter 22. And as we look at this passage as an introduction, what we want to talk about today, one of the things I want us to see is a reality that Jesus is going to expose for us that I think we need to hear. I think we need to hear what Jesus says 2,000 years ago to people who were divided in their allegiance. But on this day, they came together. In verse number 15 of chapter 22, we're going to see something remarkable happen here. We're going to see enemies come together to attack Jesus. Somebody said that Jesus has a unifying effect on all people, on all people. He unifies his followers, and I hope that happens here at Centerpoint. Jesus Christ, you bring up Jesus, and followers of Jesus are unified. So Jesus will unify his followers. But what's remarkable is that Jesus will also unify his enemies. Those that are opposed to Christ... When they encounter the message, message of Jesus, will remarkably work together to oppose him. Look at Matthew chapter 22. Look at number, verse number 15. Here's what it says. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words. Now, we won't take the time to develop the context, but we are at the climax now of Jesus and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, coming to a conflict. This is it. Matthew chapter 23 is the absolute climax, and this is the the precursor to that. And so they sent their disciples to Jesus. Who did? The Pharisees did. The Pharisees gather up their disciples. Very likely, these are sort of Pharisee wannabes. They're in training, and they they are preparing to one day be a Pharisee. And they send their disciples to Jesus along with the Herodians. Now listen, if you're not familiar with first century politics, and you probably aren't, Let me fill you in on two groups here. The Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. And really, what kind of unified them is they were anti-government. They hated the government. They hated the Roman government. They called themselves the pious ones, the separated ones, the holy ones. And they hated the Roman government. And there was another sort of political party that day. They were called the Herodians. They followed the puppet king Herod. They didn't hate government. They loved government. And they submitted themselves to this this earthly power because it might bring them strength. But now the two of them who are diametrically opposed to one another, the Pharisees hate the Roman government. The Herodians are allegiant to the Roman government. But they come together now to attack Jesus. And they say, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinions, for you are not swayed by appearances. Now listen, be careful of flattery, okay? That's what this is. You know, like in a smoke-filled room, the Herodians and the Pharisees got together and they have conspired together how they're going to take on Jesus. And they're getting ready to, to kind of put together this one question that they've kind of put together on a chalkboard. I see them there, you know, maybe we can say this, maybe we can say that. And what's the question they come up with? They said this, tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now listen, that question doesn't seem to have like that big of a deal to us. But we're separated now by 2,000 years. In that day, this was, a, this was a heated topic. And Jesus, in his answer, is going to reveal something to us that we need to understand today. Look at what Jesus says. Now, he's, again, his followers and his enemies are now united over this one question. And Jesus says this. Why? Why? You put me to the test, you hypocrites. Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. This is a coin of that day. We we have them on this day. We, we, We have these things. Archaeologists have found them. And on one side was a picture of the emperor, the Roman emperor. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, And here's the important point for us today. Therefore, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled. Listen, folks. In this one sentence from the Lord Jesus, who is God in the flesh, Jesus Jesus established the validity of government. He established the validity of Caesar's reign, of Caesar's rule. But he also limited it. He put a limit on the role of government. What I want us to see in starting here is that Jesus is acknowledging this truth that human government is the plan of God. Now, I'm telling you right now, some of you don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear that. They're like, well, this is not the time to tell me that, that human government is the plan of God. Listen, I think this is exactly the time that we need to talk about this. We need to understand what God has communicated and what God has done in giving us a government. And we need to understand how we are to respond to the government. How we are to respond to those in authority over us. And probably more important than either of those things is to understand how our response to the government affects our witness for Christ, our worship of God, and the willingness of God to fill us with His Spirit and direct us. Today, I want to to mess with you a little bit. I, I want to step into your life a little bit and talk about our response to government. And I want us to understand that if we're not obedient in these small things, If we're not walking in obedience to the small thing of just simply understanding what government is meant to be and responding to it in a biblical way, why would we think that God would lead us in larger things? If we're not faithful in small things, like how we post on Facebook or what we say to others about whatever government authority that you happen to decide to attack, if we're not obedient in those small things, Who are we to think that God has continued to lead us in the large things? Jesus, in this sentence, has shown us that government is God's plan. But he also has communicated where the limit lies. And I want us to see that completely from God's word. So turn with me to Romans chapter 13. I would suggest to you that Romans 13 is probably the key The key passage about our response to government. It's the the touchstone for for what is God's role for government. What does God have to say about our government? But listen, Scripture doesn't start here. Government and man's response to government a man's need for government goes all the way back to the days of Noah. When Noah and his sons came off the ark, God established the need for government, the reality of government right then. When, when God really instituted what a lot of people call the dispensation of government, and that doesn't matter to you that, that you know what that word means, but theologians identify this is the start of government, Genesis chapter 9. When God says that if someone takes the life of someone, man will require his life. And so God, in Genesis chapter 9, instituted a policy of capital punishment and really instituted the creation of government. And then it flows through the progress of Revelation. We see what Jesus had to say. But listen to some of the things that the New Testament writers are going to say about government and about your response to government. And realize that when the New Testament authors wrote this, they were encountering an opposition from a government that we know nothing like. You you may think that our government leaders are are a shambles or don't know what they're doing, but listen, it, it pales in comparison to the rule of the emperor Claudius, or the rule of the emperor Nero, or the rule of King Herod, or King Nebuchadnezzar, or King Sennacherib, or King, King Cyrus, or, or the pharaoh of Egypt. That's, who's, that's the context of when these truths are written. I gave you a whole host of, of scripture passages on your worship notes, and I don't have time to look at all those today. We're going to spend our time on Romans 13. But let me just tell you, let me give you a flavor of what many of these passages say. Romans 13 calls you to be in submission, being submitted, subject to the governing authorities. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 is going to call us to honor the emperor. And when Peter wrote that, this was shortly before he would go to his death through the declaration of the emperor that day. And he said to honor the emperor. Paul says that we are to pray for kings and those in authority over us. Not post wicked things about them on Facebook. That's not not what we're called to do. We're called to pray for them. Titus says to be submissive to rulers and authorities. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, now listen to this. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says this. Like a good soldier. I spent some time in a soldier in the United States Army. So did both of my sons. So I understand military life. He says, like a good soldier, don't get entangled in civilian affairs. Huh. God has much to say about government. And I think it's much that we need to hear. So let's go to Romans 13. I want to read for you verses 1 to 7. I want to read the whole passage I want to read it because it's much more important than anything I have to say. But then I'm going to go back and I want to explain it in its context and its meaning so that the Spirit of God can apply it to our hearts this week, this election week, this Tuesday or maybe next Tuesday or next month when we finally find out who wins the election. That we will live in a way that's submissive to God for His glory. Verse number one. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Can God be any more clear in verses 1 and 2? The government is God's plan, and God has placed the government in place. I mean, it's from every single angle in verses 1 and 2. It's back and forth and in and out, and it's repeated over and over and over. God has placed those in authority in the position of authority that they are in. Verse 3, it says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. Now, just pause there for a minute. See that word servant? That word is used in your New Testament and other places. Let me tell you what it is in Greek. In Greek, it's the word diakonos. That might, might, might sound familiar to you. It's where we get our English word deacon. So what this tells us is that this one who is in authority, this person who's in authority, is God's deacon for our good. But if you do wrong, Paul writes, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore one must be in subjection. I get the idea that maybe Paul understands this is something that's hard for us to live. He keeps repeating it over and over. Be in subjection. Not only to avoid God's wrath, he says, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. That's not all. Respect. To whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. And why are they owed it? Look at the context. See what Paul has been saying. Why are they owed this honor and respect? Not because they're smart, or they're, they're sharp, or they're nice, or they're young, or they're fast, or they're cool. No, no. Because they're in that position as God's instituted authorities. So we give them honor. Hard words, right? Hard words in our 2020 American culture. Well, I want us to understand, first of all, this reality. And, and I'll just tell you, some of you aren't going to like this. I love you, but you're not going to like this, okay? But here's the truth. We see here that government is a gift from God. That's what we're learning here. Government is a gift from God. You might say, oh, gee whiz, thanks a lot for that gift. You know, can I return it? I don't want this thing. Oh, oh, but wait a minute. Maybe we misunderstand some important truths. Government is a gift from God. See, here's the reality about what God has done. We call this common grace, what I'm going to explain to you. There are some things that that God has done for all of humanity that we put under the label of common grace. Maybe the textbook example of this is the sun shines down on the righteous and the unrighteous. Today it's raining. It doesn't matter whether you're following Christ or not. It's going to water your plants, right? Right? And they're going to grow, hopefully. Well, it's a little late, but you get the idea. That's common grace. There are things that God has just given to all of humanity. Why? Because He loves us. We're His creatures. He has made us. He designed us. And so He has given us common grace. Sun and the rain and the the planets and the sky around us and the the things that point us to Jesus, the things that point us to God. Relationships and children and parents and, and the things, the jobs that we have. You don't get those things because you're righteous. You know, your stock market doesn't do well because you love God. No. These are things that are just common grace that just come to people. God providentially does this in people's lives. And this is called common grace. But what we see here is that every person is experiencing a form of common grace in the government. The government. You say, well, why? Why do I need a government? Just let me alone. Just let me do what I want to do. Let me be me and you be you and just stay out of my life. Oh, be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you request. See, that kind of an attitude reveals a misunderstanding of a human nature. We don't realize how wicked man can be. We don't realize how sinful mankind can be. In reality, we don't realize how wicked we can be. You see, it is God's common grace that He gives us some restraints on sin. He gives us restraints on sin. Scripture describes four restraints that we see on sin. Let me just quickly go over these. First of all, you have your conscience. You know, one reason why man doesn't do all the wicked that he's capable of doing is because man has been blessed by God as part of his common grace to have a conscience. Without a conscience, we would do wicked, horrible things to one another. Unredeemed men. People don't know Christ. They have a conscience. Oh, I know we can sear it and we can learn to disobey it, and that's what we see. And that's what many of the prisons hold sociopaths that have learned to say no to their conscience over and over and over. So God gives a conscience to mankind to restrain sin. But that's not the only form of restraint on sin. God also gives a family or parents so that you can teach your children right from wrong. Why is that? So they'll sit quietly in church and impress everybody? No. To restrain sin in their life. To hold back sin. If you as a parent take off your hands and let your kid run wild, he will run wild. She will run wild. And she or he will show their murderous intent. They will show their dishonest intent, their malicious intent. If you don't believe me, spend some time with a 12-year-old girl. Sorry, 12-year-old girls. But it's reality. They could be some of the meanest people on earth. Right? Did I just offend anybody? It's true. Thirdly, God gives us the church and the word of God to restrain evil. I hope today that the evil of, of, of rebelling against our government authorities will be restrained today because of the Word of God. But the fourth piece of common grace that God gives us to restrain evil is the government. Is the government. God gives government so that mankind cannot run free, cannot run free and let his, and let his sinfulness reign. Where at that point, might is right. And the strongest prevails. And the weak cower in fear, as of course they would. This is why God has given us government. This is why we needed the gift, and it was a gift. A gift that God has given us. So let's see what it is that Romans 13 says. We see here in verse number 2, we, we, we're going we're to have, have an introduction of a group of people called Governing Authorities. Look what it says. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, but there is no authority except from God. In case you happen to think there, well, okay, only, only righteous authorities are from God. No, that's not what it says at all. Don't try to find some kind of a you know, little hole to give yourself a, a, enough of a, of a rope to hang yourself. Be careful there. Because the very next phrase says this, and those that have existed, those that existed in, have been instituted by God. Every authority that has ever been has come through the hand of God. He has allowed them to reign. He has. And I know that many, many of them are wicked and evil. I realize that. I know it may be better than many of the people in the room. As I study biblical history and see the things that evil men have done. But they are instituted by God. So what this means is that when we resist the authorities, verse number two, who resist the authorities, you don't just resist the authorities. Why? You're resisting God. You're resisting this one that God has appointed. And from that, we incur judgment. We need to understand that God is providentially placed in leadership over humanity, government. They've been placed in the position that they're in by God. And that is why God calls them his diakonos, his servant for our good. Now, what are we supposed to, to do with these governing authorities? Now, again, you might think, well, surely this doesn't apply to, and then whatever political persuasion jumps in here, Right? Sure, surely this doesn't apply to that dirty, rotten Republican. Surely this doesn't, this doesn't apply to that dirty, rotten Democrat. Seriously, are you, that, are you that unaware of biblical history? Take Emperor Claudius. He is the emperor when Paul wrote this. An evil, narcissistic emperor over Rome. And Paul called him the servant of God. Paul called Claudius... The diakonos of God. Take Emperor Nero. He reigned after Claudius. He was reigning when Peter said, honor the emperor. He was a madman that would literally take Christians and light his garden by their fire. What I mean? The fire of them. He would dip them in oil and stick them up on a post and light his fire in his garden with burning Christians. This is what history records. And Peter says, honor him. (laughs) King Cyrus, the king of Persia, who was a perverted man, who Isaiah calls him the anointed one of God in Isaiah 45. King Nebuchadnezzar, he's the one that marched from Babylon into, into Jerusalem and took Daniel and all of his buddies back to Babylon and made them slaves. Jeremiah calls him God's servant. Listen, we have to understand that God is instituting his His plan. He is working his plan through governing authorities. And what he's doing, it rises above our understanding. Listen, it's not that you don't understand what God is doing. It's that you can't understand what God is doing. Do you hear the difference? His thinking is not his, our thinking. His ways are not our ways. God is working out a grand plan. Because in reality, there are only two kingdoms in this, in creation. In all the universe, there are only two kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. And kingdom of man will rise up these authorities and bow down before them and, and think that they are ruling their day. But what they don't realize is this, that the great king of heaven who is ruling over the kingdom of heaven, is simply using them to accomplish his plan. I want you to notice that the governed authority is a human, as I've already mentioned that. It's, It's not a form of government. It's not a document of government. Over and over and over in this passage, the Spirit of God refers to this governed authority with a personal pronoun, he. Not it, not the form, but he. We need to understand that no form of government aligns with God's plan. God, is not, God does not bring about monarchy or democracy or any of, any of the like. God, God works in, in mysterious ways. And we also need to know this truth. America is not God's nation. I hate to break that to you, but it's the reality. God had one nation, the nation of Israel, and it was a theocracy, meaning that God would rule. And man rebelled over and over and over. But listen, that that longing that you have for a ruler will one day be fulfilled through the Lord Jesus. But meanwhile we wait. Meanwhile we wait. And what it says in verse number one there is that we are to be subject to the governing authorities. See that there? And it's repeated throughout this passage. That we are to be of subjection to the. God's authorities, to the ones that God has placed in charge. Now, what does the word s- subject mean? It comes from a Greek word, and you might hear this word again someday in your life, so I'll just mention it to you. It's Hupatasso. And let me tell you about this word because it is very important. It's actually a military word. Hupatasso is a military word. And those who have ever served in the military can certainly understand what Hupatasso means. I spent years in the United States Army. And I was never one that was in charge. That was not God's will for me at that time of my life. But I had to live out hupotasso. And what it means, is it's a word that means to place in order, to arrange under. And so this is what it meant for me as a, when I was a PFC, a private first class. I was in a squad, and my squad leader and assistant squad leaders outranked me. I'll tell you the honest truth. I was smarter than them. I was better looking than them. I'd scored better on the PT test. I'd all, I'm making a lot of this stuff up. But you get the idea. There were things about me that I felt like, you know what? I should be in charge. But in the military, you understand. Hupotasso. It's not about skill. It's not about knowledge. It's not about the rest of those things. A matter of fact, us in the private news network, we're always complaining about those upper, sort of those upper enlisted men and how they don't know what they're doing. And they don't, they don't know what they're thinking. But you align yourself in order. That's what this word means. It implies an obedience and a recognition of greater authority. Because the truth is, me as a private, I could complain all day, but I'm not the one that actually has to answer for what happens. Now, again, we've already alluded to this once, but what's the reason for this gift? The reason that God has, has allowed this is to restrain government, to restrain the sin, that is, of mankind. God is using government to restrain our sin. And if we, if we ripped off the guardrails, if we ripped off the government, if we killed our conscience, which is happening in our culture, if we rid, rid the family of any kind of authority in your life, which has happened in our culture, if we tell the world that the Bible was useless and the church has nothing to offer, which has happened in our culture, and all we have left is the government, and we take away the government's authority, we have the Lord of the flies. We have people chasing one another down in the streets and murdering one another, folks. That's what it looks like without government. Thank the Lord that we have government. You may disagree with it, you may think they don't know what they're doing, but Tasso: Fall under the authority, the arrangement of what God is doing. If you want to see what it looks like to not have a government, go to the end of the book of Judges. Listen, it is, it is an R-rated read. That will bring some of you there to read it. Read the last three chapters. There is murder. There is perversion. Because everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. For this reason, we need the subjection that that God calls us to. So what is God doing? I think the first thing we got to recognize is God is accomplishing His sovereign will. He's accomplishing His sovereign will through the government. So what does that look like? Well, 1 Timothy 2 helps us understand that. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul says this, that we are to pray for those who are over us. Prayer, intercessions, and thanksgiving may be made for all people, for kings and for those who are in authority over us. Why? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, a godly, that's godly and dignified in every way, so that God our Savior, who desires all people to save, He may bring them to come to the knowledge of the truth. What is God doing? Why is God, why is God using government? How is he using it? He's doing this to create an environment where his gospel can take root. This is why we need government. It accomplishes his will. It, it brings about his plan. And again, his will is above our minds. We can understand. It. It's beyond our ability to comprehend what God is doing. But we know that he is working out his plan on earth. So therefore, be in subjection to him. You say, "Well, what if what if the government is wicked? What if the government is evil?" You say, "What if it's that dirty, rotten Trump that gets elected, or what if it's that awful guy Biden that gets elected? Whatever, wherever you happen to land, what if that happens? Really, do you think God is that impotent? Do you think God is that weak?" God is working out his plan. He worked through the dictates of Nero and Claudius and Cyrus and Nebuchadnezzar and the like. Trust God at this level. Trust him. He's accomplishing his plan. A few years ago, there were a couple of us who were at a pastor's retreat. Down in Kentucky, 14,000 church leaders there in the room singing praises to God. It was really, really a, a dynamic experience. And during a break, this man turns around, and he definitely was Middle Eastern. You could, you could just see. And we ask him where he's from. And to make a long story short, he was a pastor from Iran. And for about the next 15 minutes, he relayed to us what he had seen God do in this Islamic country of Iran. And there was a revival going on in his country, in his community, that I sat there and listened to him and honestly had to confess a covetous heart as I heard him relay stories of people who were putting their trust in Christ and being baptized and facing persecution and then walking out of that and telling people about Jesus. And I was just overwhelmed with with just a, a fascination and a wonder at what God is doing. And if I were there voting or if I were there looking at the government, I would say, how dare they? Oh, we have such a small mind. We have such a small way of looking at things. Listen, God is reigning above. We should not get all fixated on the decorations around the room and say, well, what if a Republican is president? Or what if a Democrat is president? These are things of the kingdom of the earth. We are of the kingdom of heaven. And God is doing a work. And I trust him enough. Do you? I trust him enough that no matter who it is that sits in the White House, he is accomplishing his plan. So therefore, I will trust his will. And I will worship him. And that's not all I will do. Secondly, this is another sort of aspect we need to see here, is the reality of what government is doing is it's protecting mankind from mankind. We've hit this many, many times. That this ruler, look at verse number three. Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. See that word terror? That's the word that you're going to recognize. I'm going to tell you what it is in Greek. It's the word phobias or phobia. That word, fear, is all through this passage. Several times, the Spirit of God warns us or calls us to fear. The whole idea of fear not, that's simply a marketing slogan. It really doesn't mean much of anything at all. The truth is, we are to fear. Fear God. Fear what I could do if restraints are lifted. Fear what happens when I dishonor God's authorities look at it with me for rulers are not a terror to good conduct but the bad would you have no fear of the one who is an authority then do what is good and you'll receive his approval see what government does government rewards good behavior for he is God's servant for your good but if you do wrong be afraid For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Listen, just eight verses prior to this, in Romans 12, verse number 19, we're told, never avenge yourselves. We don't avenge ourselves. Folks, as Christians, we don't strike out in vengeance. So what do we do? Are we just a mat that people walk on? is it simply kick a lull day and everybody just kick you over and over and over? Is that, and I don't do anything? No. The government is there as God's avenger. He carries the, says here, the Lord's sword. So we should fear. There's a righteous fear of government. And it's what restrains evil. It's part of the common grace that God has given us. And then lastly, just see here that, that what happens is, for he is a servant of God, and an avenger carries out, the, out, out God's wrath on the wrong doer. Therefore, again, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. What is that saying? That's saying, even when no one's looking. Even when no one's looking. You say, well, no, hey, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. There's no policeman on the street, so I can just go on right through this red light. Spirit of God says, No, don't do that. For the sake of your conscience. For the sake of your conscience. What's the big deal with this conscience? Listen, we are, our, our flesh is capable of hideous acts. You and I. And so God wants us to be careful with our conscience. And not train ourselves, not train ourselves to violate our conscience. It's a red light, I'm going through. Red light, I'm going through. Red light, I'm going through. And your conscience grows cold and hardened. And then sin is there. So easily to entangle. Now, let's let's have a word of clarification. Because I know what some of you are thinking, and to help me kind of illustrate this, I want to pull out a, uh, 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 hold on, give me a second, there we go, my handy dandy sword, yes, I've been waiting for an opportunity to use this. So this isn't actually my sword, this is a, a friend of mine let me borrow this, and I'm not a sword fighter, I'm not a fencer, I know nothing about it, okay. But I've been wanting to sword fight somebody all week. You know, I just want to clash with somebody. It'd be so cool. I want to tell you about a, a sword fighting sort of technique. Okay? It's called a feint. Now, I don't know how to do it, but I, in my mind, I've, I've figured it out. Okay? And here's what it is. And, and if you've ever done any, you know, any wrestling or boxing or the like, you, you, know, what this, you know what this move is. So a feint is when I fake this way, all right, and you lunge that way, and then I stab you through. Right? That's a fate. It's a fake in one direction to get you to react to that and then I can clobber you over the head. So I've been talking about the government and authorities. Now we need to be in subjection to them. And I know know what you're thinking. I should probably put this away. Um, I I know what you're thinking. Well, what if the government comes and kicks down my door and says, give me all your Bibles and you can no longer say the name Jesus. Listen, that's a feint. Here's what that is. That's you in your flesh coming up with some scenario that you can then say, I'm not going to be a submission to the government because they're going to make me violate God's commands. I ask you this question. And I'm taking a risk here, but... I want you to be honest with me. Anyone here in the room, any of you, have any of you ever been told in some environment you cannot name the name of Jesus? Anybody here at all? Not one person? Huh, isn't that something? Every one of us, when I'm talking about being subjected to the government and God has placed authorities in, we're all running through this scenario in our mind. Yellow, but what if? I'm Challenge you I believe you're trying to find allowance for the flesh. Now there is a scenario where yes you would disobey those in authority or you. Let's take a minute and look at it. Go with me to chap- to the book of Acts. let's see this this time this this time of clarification where yes you would you would resist go to go to the book of Acts chapter four. Go with me there. Chapter 5, thank you. So in Acts chapter 5, this is our scenario. What's happened is Peter and John, apostles, are followers of Jesus. They've been arrested by the authorities. And in chapter 5, they're brought into the authorities and they're told... You can no longer preach the name of Christ. And this is a scenario that we are, that we kind of call up in our minds like, what would I do? What would I do? So in Acts chapter 5, you can jump in with me at verse number, oh, let's say 27. And when they brought them in, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them and said, We strictly charge you not to teach in this, in this, in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered him and they said, We must obey God rather than man. Now there is a scenario, yes, where you would dishonor what an authority calls you to do. But we need to recognize here is a few things about that I want us to understand. First of all, the bar is high. The bar is high. They're being told not to preach in the name of Christ. They're not being told to wear a mask or not wear a mask. They're not being told to drive under 70 miles an hour. They're being told to violate one of God's commands. So the bar is high. Secondly, we need to recognize that God does not prevent us from experiencing the consequences of this action. Notice what happens later on in this story. So what's going to happen is when when they when when they continue to preach Christ, jump into verse number 40, they called on the apostles and they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. So the bar is high, and the consequences are not negated. But the third thing I want us to understand about this, about this this possibility is this. Though we can dishonor a command of an evil authority, we do not dishonor the authority. So when we get on Facebook and say, you know, that dirty, rotten Trump, I can't believe him, he's an awful person, we need to recognize we are dishonoring an authority. Or That dirty, rotten Biden, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He can never lead our country. You're dishonoring an authority. It's not that you're dishonoring a command. You're dishonoring an authority that God has placed there. So careful. And know that a watching world is there watching. Let me say, Lowell, have you been looking at my Facebook? Listen, I want you to know, I have nobody in mind. I'm not even on, I don't have Facebook anywhere right now. So I I don't know what you've been posting. I don't have you in mind. I just know what's going on in many circles. They need to recognize what that is. That's rebellion against the authority that God has placed there. Careful. Careful. So just to wrap up, I know I'm over. Happened in the first service too. Um. Let's just finish our little outline here so you guys can fill in and, and understand what's happening. At the end of this passage really what it says is that we need to render what is ordained by God. To render what is ordained by God. And I'll just I'll just hit it real quick. We're to be subject to these authorities as to the Lord. Be subject to them as to the Lord. Just like you might have said to your kids. You may not, you may not agree with what I'm telling you, but. You honor me as to the Lord. It's funny, when we're the coach, or we're the dad, or we're the classroom teacher, we understand the value of submission. But when we're turned around on the other side, oh, how easily we'll attack. Two other areas that we need to recognize, you can see in verse number seven, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. Pay your taxes. That's what... what Paul is calling us to. The Spirit of God is telling us. And then lastly, respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. Respect and honor the authorities. Let me just close with kind of three things that I want to really challenge you with this week. Okay? I want to challenge you with this week or month, however long it takes. Um, Listen. Dishonoring a command may be righteous. Righteous. There are some scenarios where dishonoring a command may be righteous. You are not allowed to preach in the name of Christ. Dishonoring that command is righteous. But there is no scenario where dishonoring authorities is. Dishonoring authorities is sin. Peter said, honor those in authority over you. Honor the emperor. Honor all people. Careful there. Careful. Secondly. We need to pray for this. This is a phrase that I made up just to make this very point. We need to pray for authority compatibility with God's plan for government. What does that mean? We pray that whoever's elected president will see right as God defines right and wrong as God defines wrong. And that's how I will vote. That's how I vote. I don't vote because I like a person or dislike a person. That's not how I vote. I vote by what does this person's policies, do they align with what God says or not? There are no perfect candidates. They're not all going to line up there. But I seek which one is revealing that in the greatest way. Why? So my man will win like a football team on Sunday? Yay, go Ravens? Is that what it is? No. be honest with you i really don't care i really don't care who sits in the white house but what i know is what first timothy 2 says and that is the environment where the gospel is freely shared is one that is described as peaceful quiet so that's what i seek that's what i seek. And listen, the third thing may be the most important, quite honestly, especially if you are a parent or a grandparent or a disciple maker, and you have people who follow you. Listen to this. And this is a principle you should apply in, in many areas of your life. It's one that my wife and I regularly talked about in our decisions as parents and what we would do when we had small children in our home and what we would do when we had teenagers in our home and what we do now when we have adult children and It's this. Generally, it is true. That what we do in moderation. Those who follow. Will do in excess. So here's what that means. When I'm sitting at my kitchen table. And I'm ranting about the president. How much of an idiot he is. And an evil orange man. And the like. And my kids are sitting there listening to me. I am teaching them how to respond to an authority that they don't like. And one day, that tree will grow up and have fruit. Careful what you say. Careful what you post. Because as you attack and malign people on Facebook or social media, or whatever it might be. You are constructing walls that one day the gospel is going to have to climb over. So we're fighting over the decorations and the drapes in the room. Meanwhile, we've abandoned the kingdom of heaven for the temporary kingdom of earth. Do we believe in eternity or not? Do we believe that people are eternal and the gospel allows them to have eternal relationship with the Lord or not? I would suggest to you that this is an issue where our real beliefs are revealed. But the gospel covers, folks today you recognize, you know what, I've been out of line. I've been out of line. I have been ranting at the mouth or at the keyboard, and I am out of line. And my heart is really out of line. Somebody tells me what to do, and I immediately hate them. Yep, that's what Scripture says about you, that we are hostile to a lawgiver. Somebody tells you what to do, and you immediately hate them. That's your flesh. And Jesus came and died on the cross for Our flesh to redeem, to regenerate, to forgive. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, these are hard words for us to hear right now because we got people all around us that are ramping us up into a fury. Lord, would you give us a mind for your kingdom? And would you put the kingdom of this earth in its proper place? Oh, not that it's not important, but it's not the priority. Father, would you remind us that you are ruling, that you have a plan, that you're not obligated to tell us what it is, because we couldn't understand it if you did. And Lord, would you break our hearts for the lostness of the world around us, for our neighbor next door that has a different political belief than us, Father, that for their sake, for the sake of their God, of their soul, for, for your glory, that we'd put that aside. And Lord, instead we'd live for your kingdom. Lord, I thank you for your forgiveness that, that brings a new, a new aspect of mercy every day. Lord, forgive us for our anger, for our frustration, for our impatience, for our cruelty. For our flesh that wants to rule us. And may we be driven instead by your spirit. We thank you for your word, Lord, and the clarity of it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, next week when we come back together, I already know what I'm going to say. It doesn't matter who gets elected on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or next month. It doesn't matter. I'm saying the same thing next week no matter what. Today it's what is God doing in government. Next week it's what is God doing in this world. I encourage you to be here. And let's be encouraged about what God is doing. Hey, help us out. Clean off your seats. That would be a big uh, blessing to us. Saves us a lot of time later on. All right, with that, you are dismissed. Have a great day.